Hi, I'm Darren Steele, and this is Think Queerly, a podcast that empowers LGBTQ2 thought leadership and creative expression to cultivate inclusion, diversity, understanding, and social change for universal human dignity. Now, in today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Shell Turingen, the co-director of the Canadian documentary Small Town Pride, which was presented and produced by Extra Magazine and Pink Triangle Press in Canada. Now, Small Town Pride offers a very intimate look at the joys and challenges of being queer in small town Canada. It's filmed in Alberta, Nova Scotia, and the Northwest Territories. And the documentary follows LGBTQ2S plus peoples and allies as they prepare for their local pride celebrations in 2019. Uh, There's organizing in church basements and classrooms around kitchen tables and the People in the film, they take on conservative a conservative town council that won't fly the rainbow flag and they have to bend some rules to create a safe space for youth to come out. But despite these experiences of isolation and discrimination, they love their communities and they strive to make them places where everyone, no matter who they are, can live and thrive. Shell Turingen, one of the co-directors, is a Filipinx Canadian filmmaker and video journalist based in Toronto, Ontario. They are a National Magazine award-winning editor and cinematographer, and their work has been featured in publications including Maclean's, Chatelaine, Today's Parent, and on Sportsnet. And Small Town Pride is their first film. This is a really wonderful deep dive into the film, the making of the documentary, their experience, and I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you will as well. Shell, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Darren. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited to hear uh, your take on this documentary, Small Town Pride. I have to say, I I really enjoyed watching it. I think I uh, previewed it just about 10 days ago or so. And first of all, it's it's beautifully filmed. I mean, Canada's gorgeous in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of wondering, what's it going to be like? So sometimes documentaries can be either really low budget or really a high budget. But I loved the pacing. I loved that, you know, that these are small towns. So you took some time. Uh, I'm assuming you took some time to sort of highlight some of the landscape and, and the look and at least it gave me a feel of sort of the landscape and how that influences culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. So why don't I give you sort of a, the microphone for a moment and give us the high level overview of the documentary and what it's all about. Totally. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, I, I often get the question, like how did the documentary come together? Um, I'm a, a queer non-binary person of color. Uh, I grew up closeted uh, in the mid '90s in Toronto, um, which is obviously a huge urban center. Um, and so, a lot of people might be wondering why someone like me was interested in making a film about, you know, queer folks in rural communities. Uh, well, my partner, who I've been with for almost 13 years now, um, she was also a closeted teen in the mid '90s, but she grew up in a small town in Ontario called Smith Falls. Um, Smith Falls is about an hour outside of Ottawa. Uh, it's a population of about eight or 9,000 people. So it's similar in size to Tabor, which you saw in the film. Um, and in 2018, Smith Falls celebrated its first Pride event. Um, it was a very modest uh, kind of event, maybe 
50 people walked down their uh, their main street and there were folks on the sidewalk with rainbow flags and maybe it took 15 or 20 minutes to do the whole thing. Wow. Um, and, and that was it. And uh, I remember um, my, my partner's mother was there and supporting with her flags. And I looked over at my partner who is like in near tears. And I was just like, honey, are you okay? Um, and she just looked at me and, and said, I never thought I would see this happen in my hometown, which really struck me as someone who grew up in uh, Scarborough, adjacent to Toronto, uh, a huge population and lots of access to resources. Um, and, you know, when she had said that, I had noticed, you know, throughout the summer, there was like an uptick in kind of seeing these pride celebrations happening in small towns all over the country. And it occurred to me that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of folks everywhere um, who, are, who are doing th that work in small places who maybe don't have um, the privilege or uh, access to leave where they are, but they still wanna live authentically. Um, and so we wanted to really kind of capture this moment that's happening in, in Canadian history and queer history in Canadian queer history, you know, this sea change that we saw happening in small towns. Um, mm. So that's how small town pride came to be. It's really, I like to call it uh, my love letter to, to queer folks who have grown up in small towns who continue to live in small towns now and who maybe want to live in small towns um, later on in their lives. So, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I spent uh, almost 11 years living in Ottawa when I went to university between um, uh, it's either 87 or 88. And then I moved back to Toronto in uh, 1993, uh, sorry, 1997. Um, and, you know, Ottawa prides were just great. And, you know, especially to be able to go down um, to Parliament Hill and up along Parliament Hill. And I've never been to a small town pride and I've always wondered what that would be like. So it was really interesting to see the differences, but at the same time in, uh, in, in Tabor in Alberta and in the Northwest territories, there was a sense of in watching that of, of concern, which I think is so sort of normal because I'm thinking in my head, why these are really small towns. These are really kind of more out of the way. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear sort of some of your, your impressions on, on maybe tell us a little bit about the three places that you went. Um, and, and what was it like? What was the energy like? What was the individual's perceptions of it? Like, I know it comes through in the film, but th there's also your perception of that as well. Totally. Um, the thing that struck me the most about, and, e and each of these places has, is special in its own right, as you'll see in the film. Um, but the thing that struck me the most about Norman Wells uh, was that their pride activities are actually coordinated by their school GSA, their Gender Sexuality Alliance group. Um, unlike uh, in bigger cities or even in the smaller cities, like they usually have pride committees um, they're trying to get small local sponsorship. Like, you know, there's usually a, a, a board of adults that are trying to put that together. Um, and in this case, it's, it's really the school's GSA um, that puts the Pride events together. Um, and I think it has evolved over time from, from like just having the parade and then the, the following year after that, they managed to do a Pride week. 
Um, the timing in which they do it, I think is really interesting. They do their pride in September, um, which is when the school year is starting. And so they almost see it as like a way to start the year off fresh um, with inclusivity and acceptance. Um, and their events are really um, endearing and charming and very cute. You know, like one of the nights is the students have a movie night inside of, um, you know, Miss Kelly's classroom. Um, and they'll they'll pick a film that is obviously age appropriate, but that is queer that the kids watch. Um, there's like a, a, a coffee and tea night, um, which is really like a, um, a parent info night in which they can pick up pamphlets, start, maybe learn a little things, uh, a few things if, if one of their kids have come out. Um, uh, and uh, this didn't make it into the film, but like on the, the last day after the parade, they have like a dance um, we were calling it lovingly like queer prom um, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, it's the, it's the only time where they can really just in, embrace that. Um, and I, because I think, you know, through, throughout the rest of the school year and because they're so remote, um, you know, they do face a lot of um, discrimination. They, you know, the kids, when they were just kind of chatting, uh, talked about um, like how, how they have to hide. And so like, it's really nice to see them have this one week where they can really just be themselves. Over in Annapolis. Um, before you head over to Annapolis. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. But so just to, uh, to mention for people listening that might not know, uh, Norman Wells is in the Northwest Territories. Um, um, something that you said just reminded me when I was watching it of, you know, how young everyone was. And it made me wonder where were the other queers um, is and whether that's very societal in that group, that it, it was only for those individuals. Um, and sort of the other question I had is what happened after um, it was striking to watch them outside the school. And then they did their walk down towards the town and the camera's behind and they're walking to towards the town and it's kind of uh quite the sky almost overcast but not quite and yeah. there's no one else around there's there's a, there's a few people in in town here and there but it's yeah. it's not like uh yeah. it's not like the pride parades here in the big city yeah. where people know it's an event <laughs> they're they're waiting for hours on the sidelines to see mm -hmm. um you know it, in many ways it's like they're um they're they're marching to to no one, but it's they're marching for themselves. Yeah. It's not to no one. Let me let me rephrase. That. They're yeah. marching for themselves, um, which I found really fascinating. And I I think it's interesting that you brought up like where are the queer adults. Um, I think because of uh, it, you're absolutely right in that. I think it is cultural. It's part of their their uh, community. Um, you know, older queer folks don't have a space um, and because of the intergenerational gap, you know, they might not feel like if, if, if you're queer and, and you don't have a kid, how do you attach yourself to this only queer event that you see happening, right? And so I think a lot of the older folks are still in hiding, um, but right. which is why it's really interesting to see these young folks, you know, really take up the torch. Um, and, you know, they're making huge strides, whether they know it or not, uh, whether they know it or not, they're activists, um, you know, the kids mentioned that many other schools around their district further north of even them uh, also started their own GSA clubs because they heard about them. Right. Um, and of course, now those clubs exist 
in their institution for students that come after them, right? So uh, I don't really know if they understand the impact of, uh, of how important it is to create that space. Uh, I, I'm sure those closeted queers uh, you know, we're silently cheering in their homes. Um, we were yeah. we were unable to find any um, because, like, it's just not safe for them to come out, right? And so it was really interesting to see Pride through um, through that lens, through a through a youth lens, and through the lens of GSAs. Because I I, I can only imagine how different my life could have been um, if I had access to GSAs in the mid '90s, right? And so and it's so heartwarming for me to see them happening in so many schools, in Catholic schools as well. I, I went to a Catholic school myself. Um, there's that added layer of like Catholic girls playing into yeah. when you're trying to discover your your gender identity. And so, um, so yeah, that was that was what we found really really interesting um, in in Norman Wells, and that the kids are really driving um, the change up there, uh, which is really great to see. Amazing. Can we, do we want to move over to Annapolis now? No, no let's go <laughs> across the country. Let's about do, six let's fly across to, the country. Six hours so to, the whole, uh, to the Yeah, east. yeah, on the, on the whole other end of the country in Annapolis <laughs> Royal uh, in Nova Scotia. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, one of the tiniest towns in, in all of the country. It's got a population of about 500 people. Um, but what's really interesting about Annapolis is that because of where it's placed, uh, geographically, it's, it's just off of the coast, hmm. um, and and it's rich uh, historical Canadian history. Um, there's like Fort Anne there. There's like a, there's a lot of military bases, and so it's a highly um, touristy town. Um, even even though its size is so small, and um, the the mayor at the time, uh, Bill McDonald, you know, he he felt it was really important that like if we're gonna get folks coming into town from all over the world. Mm. From places in Europe, Asia, um, the states, you know, we want folks to come into our town and, and feel welcomed. And, and you can see that flag and say, oh, this is a welcoming place for me, right? And so he, <clears throat> he really pushed to get um, that, that crosswalk put in. That was the first step. Yeah. And then his next step was to put the, the Pride, together, uh, Pride Committee together, where, where you see Zainab and Blue um, organizing the events for the day. Um, and the thing that's really interesting about Annapolis is because of the makeup of their community, you do see a lot of cross-section between um, older queer folks and younger queer folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that Pride event is a way to unite them. Like, you know, if you don't have a, a bar to go to, and of course, this is going a little off topic here, but like our queer bars are disappearing. Yes. These aren't just social, you know, these aren't just places to hang. Like these are vital resources for our community to connect with one another, right? Mm-hmm. And without those institutions in these smaller places, these events become those things, right? What I thought was really heartwarming was that, um, you know, after the Pride event had ended, um, because we were working uh, and speaking to so many people um, from town, we were actually able to connect Zaina uh, with Donna and Judy, uh, who had never met before uh, um, and had met at the Pride event. Um, and we had spoken to both of them for the documentary. And I would like to hope that like that then connected Donna to like maybe participate in the Pride Committee in the next year, right? Um, and so like seeing these connections happen um, uh, cross-generationally um, was really interesting there. Uh, and then of course, over in, in Tabor, Alberta and, and our biggest um, town uh, kind of in the film, uh, I think it's safe to say that that's the most obvious um, point of conflict uh, that you can see in the film because you know they're they're fighting against um, 
a local town council that is uh, voting against them at every turn. Um, and then of course, uh, it's, uh, I think one of our subjects had called and described their town as being right in the middle of the Canadian Bible Belt. Yeah. Um, and that is something we certainly noticed when we landed there, there were churches on every corner, uh, every, like many different types of denominations, lots of churches on every corner. And so the, it's a very religious town. Um, and so they, they receive a lot of backlash that way, just in their everyday. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there are, these folks are dealing with, um, you know, challenge uh, and, and obstacles that are, that are reflective of the places where they're from. Mm -hmm. um, but there are through lines as well, which I thought was, um, was really interesting. You know, it's interesting you mentioned how religious um, Tabor in Alberta is um, reflecting back on the film and the interviews with the different people. There definitely was more existential angst uh, in the people that you spoke with. And then even at the event themselves, the what was said off script, um, I think it's a, 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 a trans man who lives very proudly and out and on their garage door has a huge rainbow flag, which I thought, holy cow, that takes one hell of a lot of courage given the place that they're living. Um, but as they so gently say, you know, they have to, they have to be representative. Um, and there's much more of a fight, not stand up and fight, but a resistance um, to, uh, the norms that would like to keep those individuals quiet. Absolutely. I think it's, um, I love that you mentioned the the rainbow flag on, on the garage door and, and how that simple act was so important and political and in a sign of protest. Mm -hmm. um, that was something else that struck me when we went to all three of these places um, was how important um, that flag really is in these smaller places. I think uh, when you're uh, queer and living in a big city, um, you know, we're a little more jaded and like, you know, the, the, the rainbow flag can sometimes be seen as, uh, you know, maybe tacky or lame or not cool or, or has been co-opted by, um, yeah. you know, corporations to, to, to play, you know, gay for a day and sell to the queers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it's easy for us to be jaded about rainbows. And like, I know many of my queer friends, you know, they don't want any of that stuff around. Uh, you know, it, 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 what the meaning of it has changed for them, right? But in these places, um, in these small places, that rainbow is key. They're signifiers of safety. Um, and I'll tell you a little anecdote. We were uh, having lunch with some of the folks um, in the Tabor Equality Alliance. And uh, we were just saying, oh, you know, uh, where are some other places we can eat in town? Uh, this place is great. Like, where else can we go? And uh, some of the folks, Jace and, and some of the other committee members were just kind of like, oh, you know, go to that faux place on this street, they're affirming. And it's the first time I've ever heard um, like that kind of language. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then they were like, but avoid, you know, like avoid that pizza place or whatever. They're not affirming, you know, anywhere that has a rainbow, you're, you're pretty safe to go. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like you'll see even in, um, like when you're in Jace's home, there's rainbows on every wall, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, she's surrounded by them. Um, and I understand, and I understand why, because that sign is a, is that flag is about safety. It's about inclusivity. It's about saying, 
I'm here. It's about, it's, it's so many things. It is a protest, right? Like, uh, even, even just our existence is political and a protest. Um, and so I really came, I came back from filming in each location, like having a new appreciation for, um, like what the flag really means. Um, and, and it's even interesting to see like the flag has changed, has changed in my lifetime. It's now the progress flag to include, you know, black, indigenous, uh, trans and queer folk. Um, and it's so nice to see that like, uh, you know, there's still lots of work to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a, that's a good reminder when you filmed around, um, what was the, the name of the trans person again? Um, uh, uh, Jace Wilson, she uh, she was the older trans uh, person uh, as part of T, and then Sean was um, the, the, the trans man you saw at the beginning of the film. Right. Everything was pride. It was there was there you know like I said pride flags. It was like I felt like there were pride napkins. There were uh, pride posters, and you know my first reaction was like oh god roll my eyes you know and then exactly as you said, it was just realization that that was such a signifier of pride, of the physical, the physicality of those items was representative of, of the pride when it was a challenge just to live in that community where, as you've, you know, told a bit more of a story than you had to decide whether this restaurant was safe or affirming. Right. Yeah. Whereas we don't think about it living in the heart of downtown Toronto. I live in the heart of downtown Toronto and yes, there are still issues. I mean, um, just in the building next to me is the person who lived there, who was one of the victims of, you know, Bruce MacArthur. Um, so these things still happen, but yeah, you know, I have a pride flag in, in my office here and we have one downstairs too, but I, it, it used to feel so either high school or university to have pride flags all over the place. Yeah. But it, yeah. it is, it has such a different meaning when you have less access to be freely who you are. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, when, uh, and like, I think when, when we, as we were going from place to place, I was picking up on that. Mm. Um, and I was even, uh, you know, where here I might just wear something like plain, nondescript, no brands, no logos. You know, when we were on shooting days, like I, wa- I, I was hearing what the folks were saying to us in interviews and wanted to, to live their speak as well. Right. And so like I, I, on our production uh, weeks, like I would, I would come packed with like, all the rainbow stuff I had <laughs> so that when we were out and about in town that people, you know, it was hard for us um, not to stick out. Like these places are so small. If it's, if it's yeah. someone they don't recognize, they're like, who are you? Why are you here? And um, in some cases it was just curiosity and was friendly. In some cases there was, it was a little more um, uh, the opposite of that. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it like hearing that, come directly from them I was like I'm gonna like uh, then I'm going to meet you where you are and yeah. and help your cause right so uh, yeah. and I have to say um yeah I didn't used to have rainbow things around my home before production and now I, I have a few more uh than I than I, I probably have more than I ever have before um yeah. because it came it, it re- I really came to understand that like how important uh that symbol is it's it's an interesting aspect of privilege, right? Um, 
if you know it's such a big discussion and such a, a loaded word for so many people but if you mm. are queer living in the big city like toronto you have so much more access to be freely who you are as a privilege and then we forget and that's why it's like i had to check myself when i was thinking oh roll my eyes when i'm watching some things on this city you're like no 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 imagine if you were growing up there darren it was like i spent like six seven weeks living in height alberta in 1984 when i was doing katimovic um 500 people in that town it was like minus 40 degrees the whole time because it was winter and um of the 12 people that lived together, one of them was a homophobe and was always after me. Um, not, not in a physical bullying way, but just in a, a Christian evangelical sort of condemnatory sort of way. And sure. you know, it's, it's easy to forget. It's also easy to forget that, you know, when I grew up and came out in 1984, I'm old, <laughs> there, there wasn't anything like that. There wasn't a pride flag. I didn't know about the access um, to, gay or lesbian things um, until I went to university in Ottawa and started attending some of those things. So Mm -hmm. coming back to the film, I'm just wondering, how did you deal with, um, or was it also with the people you were working with when you encountered um, resistance or homophobia while shooting? That's a, that's a good question. Um, And always one that's, it's kind of tough to answer. You know, our production team for the film was very small. It was me and our, our co-director, Riley Sparks, uh, who is a cis white man, um, and our director of photography, Corey Mesquita, um, who is um, a, a person of, a woman of color, um, and of course myself. And so that's quite an interesting makeup of folks already. Uh, and then you place them in a place um, where the population might not be used to seeing Asians or South Asians or people of color, uh, and so there's a few, there's a few different layers of, of of you know of attention happening. You know, it's like well, you know, we did get a lot of looks. That could be for a lot of things. You know, like I said earlier, we're we're running around town with our with our tripods and our cameras, and you're not used to seeing those people. And so the first question is kind of just like, who are you? Why are you here? What cover? What story are you covering? Yeah. Um, news in small towns travel fast. Um, and so once people realized why, why, why we were there, um, for the most part, um, people, you know, they just left us alone. It would be maybe work trucks driving by that kind of look. Um, but for, for the most part, we didn't experience any of that um, discrimination directly. Um, but I mean, it, it, was a, it was a vibe for sure. Like, you know, uh, I think, and, and I think that's just my personal intersectionality and my personal lived experience in the world. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, my partner is from a small town. I've visited her small town many times. Um, I've had my entire life to learn how to navigate in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's difficult, but like you, you, you find ways around it. I think it was helpful too, to have somebody like Riley in our crew. Um, who can almost bridge a gap in, in some ways um, for, for, for people who might just, you know, they don't mean any uh, malicious intent. They're just curious, right? And so I, I think anyone who was curious and spoke to us long enough, um, you know, they were like, oh, okay, cool. Um, that's why you're here. Like, welcome. Uh, you know, for the most part, people were really friendly. And 
um, you know, that makes sense to me because anyone who would be against us yeah. probably wanted nothing to do with us anyway, right? Right. right. So what, what impressed you about the, the pride celebrations in each city? Or do you want to just maybe speak to, to one? You've you mentioned a little bit about um, <clears throat> um, uh, Norman Wells. Uh, yes. But anything else, anything that really stood out or has sort of still resonated with you since, you know, filming all of the individual cities? I mean, in Annapolis, someone, uh, someone had made a remark that I thought was interesting. It like... Um, it looks like a family friendly event, like the, in these smaller pride events, they, they feel very family friendly. Um, and I, I, I understand the need for that as well. Um, uh, which is a very different vibe. I mean, obviously there's, there's family pride that happens in bigger cities. Toronto has a family pride day and there's events that are catered to that. But I mean, if you ask, um, you know, uh, the average person, or if you ask the average straight person, like, what do you think pride is? Most people, nine times out of 10, those people are going to say, oh, it's big floats and big cities, skyscrapers, millions of people, right? Like no one ever thinks of pride as this thing that happens in a, in a small town. Right. Um, but what I thought was interesting and, and why the, the film is kind of juxtaposed, you know, we start with Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal, very, very big. And just before we go into the third act, we see that archival footage of Toronto in 1985 and their pride parade is maybe 10,000 people which is still a lot of people but you know that's what I would have been five years old in that when, when that, that happened and, and so it's also interesting because the film is almost like um, autobiographical in its queer history it's like in my lifetime um, you know pride changed from looking like this to this here and I think like a lot of things in small towns, you know, sometimes their fashion's a little outdated. Sometimes they're listening to music from a decade ago. And the same is, and the same is true of their activism, right? Just comes a little bit later. And so it was really interesting for me to see the parallels and that these smaller prides, um, what excites me about them is that they really are, it's almost like coming back to our queer history and the roots and, and, and what pride really was right from the beginning pride is a pride was a protest started as a protest and con continues to be a protest alongside celebration right like we don't want to ignore all the advances we've made but there's still so much to do and you know it's really terrifying seeing all of the news coming out of the states right now around you know roe v wade and like attacking trans youth and same-sex marriage might be next it's just like it's it's insane to me right like and so as 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 celebratory as we wanted to be and as much as we wanted to highlight these amazing people mm. who are fighting against all of their different obstacles like we still have a lot of work to do and so like I wanted to I wanted to be able to put a through line of history I didn't want to just look at what they're doing now but in context to what we've done and where we need to go yeah so it was filmed across 2019 I mean kind of fortunate in a way with COVID hitting and locking mm -hmm. everything down in March of 2020. Um, it it's went to the festival circuit across 2021. So yeah. how has it been doing at the festivals and looking back, not only at the festivals, but any, any feedback or follow-up from the people in the town, the different towns that you saw post doing it, like what kind, did it have an effect in some way? Uh, that's a great question. So I, uh, I mean, 
most of our post-production happened in 2020 during the pandemic. Um, uh, the production crew did have plans to, to feature one more um, place in Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. um, but because of the pandemic, we were unable to, uh, to finish out that production. And so um, we proceeded with what we had. Um, still great stories, still great folks, and we were, we were still happy with the film, but you know, it was, it was very interesting to be in, in post-production looking at raw footage of people being together and in community right. um, in a year where we were so isolated from one another. Yeah. Um, it really like it really hit home how important these events are, no, how, no matter how big or small. Um, we just really missed our people, right? Um, so it was, it was interesting to do production on a film like that in the year that we had. Uh, fortunately, we were able to finish that up in 2021, and, and it did pretty well in the festival um, circuit. We we were selected. Um, our world premiere was at Inside Out, which is a film festival that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's Toronto's LGBTQ film festival. I've been going to it since I was like 18 years old. Yeah. Um, so it felt really special to have the film um, have its world premiere at Inside Out. Uh, but we also screened at um, uh, in Halifax at the Finn Atlantic International Film Festival. Uh, we were in Winnipeg for uh, the Real Pride Film Festival, and we were also in Edmonton for uh, Rainbow Visions. Um, so, like a, a pretty good, um, uh, you know, we did pretty well across the country at different film fests. And it was also interesting too because most of, you know, 2021 was still kind of a transition year, and we we were still in the pandemic, and so a lot of these screenings were still happening um, pr primarily online. Um, the only in-person screening um, was in Halifax. Uh, and um, me and my partner actually made a point to go out there um, to be present in person, um, just because I wanted to sit in a theater, even if it was with 10 people, um, to see the film like on a big screen. Yeah. Um, so that was really special. Is it going to be at Inside Out this year? And is it going to be distributed uh, or at festivals in the States? Um, I mean, we had our, you know, we had our sales and marketing team with a very, very long list of film festivals. And so we were aggressively um, entering to places uh, all over North America, all over Europe, like all over the world, really. Right. Um, <clears throat> and um, usually the festival runs um, happen in the year in which you release. And so... Uh, this is so last year was our, our release is technically our release year and so that was the festival run that we were um um that we were <laughs> you'll have you to break it my <laughs> yes exactly so, um but yeah but there's um you know the film the film has picked up um a distri has a distributor um and there's some some very exciting news about um where people will be able to watch the film outside yeah. of the festival run yeah. um which we can't which we can't talk about yet but yeah. very soon um and i would encourage your listeners to the podcast to to um you know just to pay attention to uh small town prides like website or all of our socials for those announcements um and and i want it to reach as many people as possible um all i i think um you know like you said uh, at the beginning of our conversation, like, uh, you know, our country is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. That was another thing that struck me when we were traveling and in production. Like these are places I probably would not have had the opportunity to visit or go to yeah. otherwise. Yeah. Um, and being able to see like the Northern lights, you know, being able to see the, the, the coastal, you know, shores and the oceans, like just 
being able to see like endless um, like wheat fields and like beautiful sunsets. Like I, we really wanted, um, you know, it's, it's almost like a travel film as well. Um, and I think our country is just so beautiful. Um, and I want as many people in our country to see it. Amazing. Amazing. I'll uh, be sure to include all the information in the show notes and the links sure. and the socials. So it, just to wrap up with like a few more questions, which may or may not be in depth, but what would you say are the top, might just be one or two or three lessons or wisdom that you've gained from this entire experience, whether it be as a director, or writer, uh, political, social, emotional, whatever, um, off the top of your head, what, what, what really stands out? Well, I, forgive me if this sounds a little uh, earnest and Pollyanna, but, you know, <laughs> we, we really are more, uh, we have more in common um, than not. Right. Right. Um, and I never forget that the, the folks that we met and so many folks like them all over the place um, are part of our global queer community. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. queers are everywhere, every country, every race, every religion. Um, like you can't avoid it. You can't ignore it. It's just part of the human experience. And so, you know, whether you're growing up in a big city or a small town, if you're black or white, whether you're this or that, whatever it is, you know, we all want and deserve uh, love and respect and to be able to just be ourselves. Like, mm -hmm. you know, these people are not asking for a lot. They just want to be themselves and, yeah. and, and, and feel like they're safe. Right. Um, and so that's probably the biggest thing, the biggest lesson I took away. In, in, you know, my professional work for which I get paid in, in, in coaching, you know, I've learned neuroscience and that's one of the basic tenets of how we feel safe is acceptance, connection, and care. And, you know, if everyone could just be on board with, we all want to be accepted. We all want to feel connected with other people or our community or our family or our culture. And we all want to feel like we're cared for or we can care for others. And if we could just leave it at that, you could still have your little groups over here and your groups over there that you don't have to agree with everything, but you could still say, I can accept that you are this way, but I might not agree with it. And then just do your own thing. Sure. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yes. Tolerance. I, yes. I, rem I remember when tolerance was like a win. Yes. Like if you, if you can tolerate me, great. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it, it, I mean, I don't, I, I would hope to see like, at least in mainstream, you know, we've moved from tolerance over to acceptance, but again, in these smaller places, tolerance is, is a big win, right? Yeah. It's a, yeah. And it's a, and it's a first step. These things don't happen just like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so any sort of small wins that they get, like, uh, it's always happy to see. Well, and, and then on a personal professional note for you, this is your first film. So what 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 does it feel like knowing, you know, it's already been on the circuit, um, it, it, all the work involved, uh, the work with the team at Ping Chango Press, what that, what's that been like for you? Uh, a whirlwind and uh, incredible. Um, I think I, I, I'm very thankful to Ping Triangle Press um, for allowing this project to happen, you know. Um, Filmmaking is not cheap. Um, even when you cut every corner and, 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 and you know, you, you, even if you do whatever you can to make the budget as, as small as it can be, like film, filmmaking is not a cheap endeavor. It's a very expensive storytelling format, um, but one that I think is worth the payoff, right? Like, like when you can really see a place uh, and feel like you're there, 
when yeah. you can really see a person's emotions or or hear you know the the, the emotion in their voice like it, it's 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 completely different layer a completely different kind of storytelling that really puts the person there and makes whoever's watching it i just think a little more empathetic and compassionate towards the people that they're looking at um and if they can feel that way when they leave the film perhaps that feeling can carry with them when they leave and when they encounter folks like this in their in their everyday life right yeah um amazing are there uh you might not be able to say are there any more like projects of of similar nature um in the works with ptp is that a direction that the press is taking uh i certainly hope so i think right now um as we are in 2022 and and getting a little bit closer to to back to normal whatever that means mm-hmm. um uh there there are plans to sorry darren i don't know if i can say this on the record but i'm going to say it to you just in case we're allowed to okay um Pink Triangle Press is actually doing a in-person screening of Small Town Pride for um, Toronto Pride. It will be part of the um, uh, Pride uh, program. Um, we're screening at Hot Docs. Um, we're, we're hoping to do a Q&A with some folks from the film. You know, we really want to make a splash. And I think in this year when we're maybe coming back and doing a Pride all together, um, I can think of no better way to 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 start Pride and to like bring this project to the people. Yeah. Um, and then we can celebrate together in person and then hug and touch and like and, and, and actually be together. Um, but yeah, the, the press has been incredibly supportive of the project from day one. Um, and yeah, like I don't think I would have been able to uh, to even I couldn't even have imagined working on a project like this, if not for the support of the press, yeah. um, basically, you know, financing the film. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, of course, Pink Triangle Press has a long history of 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 covering these issues. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's the publisher of Extra Magazine of of where I work, um, which is the longest uh, Canadian LGBTQ publication um, around. So I, I'm very proud um, that that Extra was able to put this out, and I'm very thankful um, to all the folks at Pink Triangle Press who really believed and supported in this project. Beautiful. Well, one final question. Is there something that hasn't been asked of you yet about the documentary or or something that you really want to share that you haven't been able to? It's funny when you work on a project like this, like I, I, you feel like this, these people that you've spent hours upon hour, hundreds and hundreds of hours watching over and over and over again and, and, and crafting, you know, their story. Uh, it's, it's almost like when you, I'm a lover of documentary film as well, right? Like you, it's kind of packaged like, oh, how beautiful. And my question is always kind of like, well, what happens after? Like what happened to those folks? What are they doing now? Um, uh, in some of those cases, um, you know, the stories have been very happy. And in some of them, um, you know, they, they changed in ways you were not expecting. Um, And it's interesting that the story never stopped. Like, you know, our stories don't end when, when the credits roll, right? These, these people continue to have to leave their lives. And we are now approaching three years since production was, you know, Ava has graduated from high school and is going to enter university soon. Um, I think, uh, sh- I don't. I don't. 
I think Sean is no longer in Tabor or it might be somebody else in Calgary or Jonathan. Um, yeah, like a lot of the folks from Tabor who were featured in the film are no, are, are no longer in their spaces. And so that was interesting to be like, you know, they fought, you know, they were fighting so hard to stay. Eventually they realized they had to leave, right? Um, but you don't see that in the film. Um, and then of course, yeah, Zainab is uh, like finishing her last uh, year in undergrad and then will be off to law school uh, in the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's just, it's, it's funny to me that like, you know, the film is so beautiful in, in this like little bundled package you can put a bow on. Yeah. Um, but like knowing how, uh, uh, you know, how their lives have changed since the film um, has been interesting. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on such a beautiful documentary. Uh, very thoughtful. So well done. I quite enjoyed it. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me here today and to dive a little deeper, maybe a little bit different than the usual 15, 20 minute banter. I hope. <laughs> Definitely. For sure. I, I, I really appreciate it, Darren. I, I had such a pleasure talking with you. Um, and, and thank you so much for your kind words about the film. Uh, you know, I, if you feel that way about it, uh, you know, that, that makes me feel like it was, if, if we can touch one person, then that's great. And, and I, I get the sense that a lot of people feel the way that you do. And, and that has been very um, nice to see um, that reception to the film. So thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. And, and good luck on all of your future new filmmaking endeavors. <laughs> <laughs>